Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. We are continuing to look uh, at the gospel texts through this uh, Easter tide season. Today we run up against um, something unique. Um, on Easter, we turn to, to Mark's version of the crucifixion and, and the resurrection. In the next two weeks, you'll remember we looked at, at John uh, and then at Luke's version of the resurrection. Um, and the remaining gospel texts point to John, um, but none of these texts are, are post-crucifixion. All these happen before Jesus was crucified. What's unique about this text that we, that we find today is that we're turning all the way back to, to John chapter 10, um, even before the triumphal entry, even before Jesus uh, came into Jerusalem that final time. Uh, and uh, because after this week, we're going to jump forward to John 15. John 15 comes uh, in the middle of, of John's long discourse uh, that he records at the table of the Last Supper. Uh, and so we're going to spend a few weeks there, um, and then one, even, one Sunday even from reading from John 17. But, but today, we get to drop kind of all the way back, even before Jesus entered Jerusalem, even before the triumphal entry. So uh, it's kind of largely removed from the Passion Week, but I think you're going to hear tones, overtones uh, of resurrection. So I'm going to invite you to turn uh, today to John chapter 10. Um, and out of respect for the reading of God's word, I'm going to invite those who are able to please stand to join me uh, as I read today verses 11 through 18. A reading from the gospel of John. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away. That's because he isn't the shepherd. The sheep aren't really his. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. He's only a hired hand, and the sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I give up my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that don't belong to this sheep pen. I must lead them too. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me. I give up my life so that I can take it up again. No one takes, up, takes it from me, but I give it up because I want to. I have the right to give it up and I have the right to take it up again. I received this commandment from my Father. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please have a seat. Well, Adriana kind of stole my opening question. I was going to ask, do any of you tend to animals? Um, 
Uh, I, I know some of you do. Many, many of you do. Um, we were handing out those. Uh, if you were here with us uh, in Christmas time, we tried to make an effort to make it out to, to many of your homes to deliver uh, mugs to, to you. Um, and, and I was greeted by many wagging tails uh, as I did so. Um, this is not a part of the journey of, of the Freeburg family. Uh, we're, not, we're not animal people. We do have kids, and for us, that's enough. Uh, it's quite a lot sometimes. But, but many of you have animals, uh, and so uh, you know the process of, of, of tending uh, to animals. As, as we read through this passage, though, you, you kind of see why the lectionary takes us in this direction. Why it led us to John chapter 10. Although this passage is, is way before Holy Week, Jesus is being very clear. Jesus is speaking throughout this passage, and he's being very clear. Even before his entry into Jerusalem, the themes of Easter are very much in this passage. I will lay down my life, he says. Chapter 10 starts with these kind of illustrations, what, what is sometimes translated as figures of speech um, or, or illustrations of who Jesus is. If you, if you go all the way back to the start of chapter 10, um, Jesus is the gate. He says, I am the gate. Jesus is the shepherd. Um, <laughs> the funny thing is, if you look at verse 6, nobody understood. <laughs> verse 6 is this. Let me find it. Those who are Jesus use this analogy or this word picture or this illustration, figure of speech, those who heard Jesus use this analogy didn't understand what he was saying. So if you never understand me, or if you don't understand me one week, hey, it happened to Jesus too. So um, it's okay. Sometimes, sometimes it takes a while for God to help our hearts to understand what God is trying to say to us. So if it happened for Jesus, it can happen for us too, and that's okay. But, but in verses 7 through 10, Jesus unpacks what he means uh, when he says, I am the gate. Um, the, did you know there's a lot of gatekeepers in the world today? Have you noticed that? Have you, have you noticed that? that, that there's, there's people post, posing as, as being the gate in the world today, ready to be the dividing line between who's in and who's out. Maybe you, that's a whole different sermon. I'm not going to get into that today. But... but I just want to say, don't let any uh, organization, don't, don't let any program, any pundit or commentator or influencer be your gate today. Who's our gate? Jesus. Amen? Is that a good word today? Jesus is our gate today. Um, Jesus is the only gate. And when we just start that process of the ins and the outs, separating the ins from the outs, the us from the other, um, we get ourselves in trouble. So let Jesus, let Jesus be the gate. The other illustration, the other figure of speech that Jesus employs in this passage is, is the one of Jesus as the shepherd, the one who tends to the sheep. And the translation that we read, and in many translations, um, they call this, uh, Jesus calls himself the good Shepherd. Many translations call Jesus the good shepherd here in John 10. This is the right shepherd, the model shepherd, the ideal shepherd. I don't know Greek. I have to, to, to rely on people who know Greek. But the Greek word here is kalos. K-A-L-O-S, kalos. 
And, and several gra- writers who, who I read this week gravitated towards this idea of Jesus being the model shepherd, the exemplary shepherd, the example for all. How does this model shepherd, the one who did it the right way, treat the sheep? What will this shepherd teach us or do for us or, or, or in how will he interact with us? The first thing this passage does is, is kind of contrast this model shepherd, this exemplar shepherd to the hired hand, right? He has, the hired hand has no compulsion to risk his life for the sheep in the pen. <laughs> I was laughing a little bit this week because uh, I've heard over the years at different times people who own businesses say, man, it's tough to find good help, right? Tough to find good help some days. Um, even back in... New Testament Jerusalem, New Testament Israel. It was hard to find good help. It was no different. The hired hand flees at the sight of the wolf. He's not going to defend the sheep. And so there's really two threats in this passage. I was reading one commentator, Laura Holmes, who said this, the hired hand becomes a threat because we're relying on the hired hand. The wolf is also a threat to the sheep. There really should be an expectation that the the hired hand should defend. But the distinction is clear. The shepherd is the one who defends. The ideal shepherd, the model shepherd, the good Kalos shepherd is prepared to lay down his life. And Jesus offers us this reason, this reason that the hired hand departs. The the reason that the hired hand says, eh, I'm not going to stick around. And what does it say? It says the hired hand doesn't own the sheep. The sheep are not his. I find great joy and great comfort knowing that I belong to the Kalos shepherd, the good shepherd. This imagery of, of shepherding and sheep are, is not lost on, on the nation of Israel. They, they, would be, they would not be unaware as to its implications and its meanings. If, as you look at the Old Testament, there were all these, all these images of the people of God being called sheep and leaders being called shepherd. Remember David, their, their version of the good old days. Everybody wanted Israel to be restored to the days of David, to when David was our king and we flourished and we had success economically and militarily and culturally. The, the nation of Israel thrived under David, and those were the good old days. Why couldn't it just be like when this? No one ever says that today. Um, but David, the, their version of the good old days, where, where was he when Samuel came to look at the house of Jesse to anoint one of the sons of Jesse? He was out on the hill tending sheep. And, and Samuel says, is this all your sons? And they say, yeah. Is, are you sure this is all your sons? Oh, wait. David's out on the hill. And Samuel says, call him in. Bring him in. I, I need to see all of your sons. Sheep, sheep were often the, the image that, that God used for the people of Israel. And, and uh, again, Adriana alluded to it. Sheep aren't all the mo- always the most intelligent creatures. I have a video to prove that this morning. I don't often use video clips, but I saw this one this week. And here we go. Um, if, 
if technology works here. Here we have a poor sheep that's stuck in a ditch. If you've seen this, be quiet. Um, and, and oh yes, we got the we got the sheep free. Uh, sheep's excited. Sheep's gonna run off and jump. Oh oh god. <laughs> uh, ah, poor sheep. I... <laughs> Being called sheep isn't a compliment most of the time. I'm not sure sure I want that. There's this amazing passage in Ezekiel 34 that really encapsulates this shepherd imagery in the Old Testament. Um, there's prophecy against the shepherds. There, there's prophecy against the shepherds who've, who've led the nation of Israel astray. If you take notes, write down Ezekiel 34 and read through that book or the, that chapter this week sometime. The shepherds didn't tend. They, 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 the, the flock was scattered. And they fall prey to the threats of the sheep. And, and Ezekiel says, you tended, these, these wicked shepherds, they, they tended to themselves. They didn't strengthen the weak. They didn't heal the sick. They didn't bind up the injured. They didn't retrieve the strays all the things that the shepherds were supposed to do for the nation of Israel. They didn't accomplish that. And they didn't do any of that. And the prophet was disappointed. But in verse 23, it says this, I will appoint for them a single shepherd and he will feed them. He will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be their prince. Prophet Ezekiel spoke of the day when we would fall under one shepherd. That the whole people of God would follow a shepherd and the shepherd would fulfill all that the shepherd was meant to do and would become for us that good shepherd, that ideal shepherd, the right shepherd and have fulfillment of that promise of that promise in Ezekiel all the way here in John 10. Here is the shepherd who is good. Here is the shepherd who is proper, who is model, who fulfills the intended role of that title. A lot of times in biblical studies we talk about, or the word perfect is used sometimes, and, and a lot of times uh, as, as we use the word perfect, perfect tends to, to mean like 100%, like you Minus zero, 100%. You're perfect, right, on the test. In biblical studies, oftentimes when we use the word perfect, it means perfectly fulfilling the use that it was intended for. Christ becomes for us that shepherd who actually cared for the sheep as opposed to what we found in the Old Testament. Then he breaks into this second section. The first section is really about contrast, the contrast of, of the good and right and ideal shepherd to the hired hand who flees and runs away. Jesus is the good shepherd. The second section is about connection. The second section is about the shepherd knowing the sheep, about being involved in the sheep's lives. The shepherd and the sheep know each other. 
In New Testament days, the sheep would be, be gathered in, in, in community pens where multiple shepherds would, would come and, and leave their sheep so that they would be guarded and protected while they might sleep or while they might attend to other, to other duties. And they were, they were meant to be safe there, safe from predators who might be out looking for, for a wooly midnight snack, right? Morning, morning would roll around and it's time to leave. And in these community pens where there were sheep from many shepherds or several shepherds, the shepherd would call out and would lead the sheep, would, would, would walk through the pen and the, and the sheep would hear the shepherd's voice and they would follow the familiar voice of their master. There was no brand on the sheep. There was no ear tags, no divided sheep pens, just the familiar voice of the master. Oh, that our ears would be that attuned to the father. Oh, that we would know his voice that well. I am increasingly convinced that the call of Jesus on our lives is an invitation it's, it's an invitation that God is out in front of us saying, come, come and join me. Come and join me where I'm at and, and follow me. Sometimes we think God says, we have this picture of a God that says, go there, go do this, go do that. Here's your task, here's your mission for the day. I think more often he's the God and father, and leader, and shepherd, who says, come, come and join me. Come and join me where I'm at. Oftentimes, I think it's like in First Kings, where, where Elijah went to hear the voice of God, and what does it say? It says, a violent wind came and shook the mountain, and the voice of God was not in the violent wind. And then an earthquake came, and the earth trembled, it says God's voice was not in the earthquake. And then a fire came and consumed everything on the mountain. The voice of God was not in the fire. Where was the voice? In the whisper. In the still small voice. Some commentators even equate it in the silence is where the voice of God was heard. I want to know Jesus like that. I want to know the shepherd's voice that way. But in the quiet and in the silence, I can hear God calling and beckoning and saying, come and join me. Most important part of this passage, I haven't even, I haven't got to yet. The, the, the best part, the most important part is the part that is reiterated in both of these sections and explained in the final section, Jesus reveals, even before entering Jerusalem, what does he say? He says, I, the good, the model, the exemplar shepherd, will lay down my life for the sheep. <laughs> and the, the disciples, and they're, they're, they don't know what we know. They haven't experienced what we've experienced. They didn't have this written down for us to understand. They wrote it down for us so that we can understand but I'm sure the disciples kind of heard it like, you know, a good bro chat, right? Man, I'd do anything for you. I'd die for you, man. Like, I'm sure that's how they heard it, right? Like, they were just like, yeah, Jesus, yeah. Thanks for dying for me. I'd die for you too, man. We don't often think of Jesus kind of in that familiar way, but I think that's probably how the disciples 
heard that. There's that, that brotherhood, that collegiality that they probably shared. They didn't realize Easter was coming. They didn't realize it was literal. That this shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep. And I think they got on the far side of this. And they remembered this time that Jesus started talking about being a shepherd. And he said, I will lay down my life. And they said, that was Jesus telling us how it would go and what he would do. I believe this is the whole point of this passage. A foretelling of the mission of Christ was on that he would be walking towards. He was the Kalos shepherd, the shepherd who would shepherd his people as had been intended all the way back in the Old Testament. A good and perfect and ideal exemplar shepherd for us. Sometimes our human examples, sometimes our, our human leaders from the kings of Israel to the temple leaders of the New Testament to the pastors of our churches today, sometimes we get it wrong. That we, that we don't measure up. But Jesus does not let us down. Amen? The call of shepherd comes to us and says, I will tend to you. I will walk with you and calls us to do all the things that we find back in Ezekiel. To bind up the brokenhearted. To care for the poor. To walk with the lonely. We are reminded today in the aftermath of Resurrection Sunday and, and basking in that joy and the celebration that we have in, in this season of Eastertide. We're reminded today that his body broke and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And this, this act was the fulfillment of the Kalos shepherd, that good shepherd. For those of us uh, who, uh, as we conclude in worship, I invite you, those who are willing and able to stand to receive the benediction. We extend our hands just kind of as a, as a physical reminder that we receive from God this, this benediction this morning. May the good and model shepherd be our guide and may he, we know and listen to his voice. For he has laid down his life for us. May we do the same. For him. Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.